You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Gather around. What if I told you that the Civil War wasn't about the institution of slavery? Okay, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That would be a lie. Now, what if I told you there once lived an enslaved man who didn't have enough money to buy his family's freedom, so he stole it? This is the story of Robert Smalls, the boat thief. This is the Redacted History Podcast. I went to school in the South, Huntersville, North Carolina, to be exact. And my high school learning experience was probably a lot like yours, more or less. I mean, my 11th grade U.S. history teacher was the football coach. On Fridays, we got free time so he could game plan for how we would get annihilated that evening. We sucked. We always lost. We were trash. Garbage. Beano. So what do you think I learned? Many things that we learned in school get reduced down to things. Rarely are we given the whole picture. George Washington was our first president, and he chopped down a cherry tree, and he never told a lie. And he also owned slaves. There are so many black people in jail today because the government systemically oppresses us and over-polices our neighborhoods and locks us up at disproportionate rates, even though we commit crimes at the same rate as everyone else. (sighs) You see where I'm going here? Like the Civil War, for example. The war was for states' rights to end slavery. White man in the South? No likey. White slave owner? No likey. Boom, boom, pew, 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 pew. War is over. Slaves are freed. Racism is over, right? Right? (laughs) Come on, guys. (laughs) Right? Wrong. Let's paint a picture. The story of Robert Smalls is the story Of every black hero, courage the size of Mount Everest to do the impossible. Yet the history books either omitted them completely or didn't tell the entire story. So, my goal with this podcast is to tell you stories about people and events that have been forgotten, left out, cast away like Tom Hanks. And what better way to start things off with the story of Robert Smalls, the boat thief. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This podcast is brought to you by Patreon. If you want to support me, if you like what I do here, go on over to Patreon.com forward slash Blackout. B-L-A-C-K-K-O-U-T. And open your purse a little bit. It won't hurt. I promise. <laughs> 
Now, let's get back to the show. Robert Smalls was born into slavery on April 5, 1839, in a shack behind his owner's house at 511 Prince Street in Beaufort, South Carolina, to his mother Lydia, who was a 43-year-old house slave servant who was owned by the McKee family. Now, it was not entirely determined who Robert's father was. However, Robert was very fair-skinned, so you can do with that information what you will. Some thought he was the product of assault by way of their owner, John McKee, or his son, Henry. See, the garbageness it, it typically ran in the family back then. Robert and his mother were heavily favored by the McKee family, so much so that it was very noticeable to Lydia, but not little Robert. Lydia had done her best to raise and influence Robert around African culture. She raised him under the influence of the low country Gullah culture. She didn't want Robert to grow up ignorant to the realities of the black man in America, despite the sheer favoritism that was shown to him by the white man from an early age. Because remember, it's the 1840s. Reality is going to hit at some point. So Lydia had arranged for Robert to watch slave whippings at the whipping post. And her plan worked too well. <laughs> Robert became defiant and angry and found himself in the Beaufort County Jail on a number of occasions, mostly because he violated curfew and the city ordinance that said that all enslaved people had to be in their quarters by sundown unless accompanied by their masters. But that favoritism would swoop in to save Robert each time. Mr. McKee would bail Robert out each and every time. Lydia had to change course. She needed something constructive for Robert to do. She didn't want him to end up hurt or worse. Lydia asked the McKees to lease Robert out for work in the city. By age 19, he had worked a handful of jobs in the city and had been able to keep one dollar of his wages. The rest went to McKee. Yay. But more importantly, Robert had worked many jobs on the water, which led him to having a genius level of the Charleston Harbor. That will come into play later. This is where Robert earned his job on a boat called the Planter. We will also cover that later. This is also where he fell in love. He met Hannah, an enslaved woman who belonged to the Kingman family. Robert was smitten. Robert and Hannah married each other and got permission to move into a nearby apartment and had two children. Elizabeth and Robert Jr. And Hannah also had already had two other children by a previous relationship, and Robert chose to raise them as his own. Robert was enjoying his life, but he, of course, wanted more. The bare minimum, actually. He wanted to pay for his family's freedom. He had been putting in a lot of work, done right by his owners, and wanted to give his family a life beyond shackles, lashings, and servitude. He approached Hannah's owners and asked for the purchase of his family's freedom outright. Her owner said, sure, sure, that'll be $800 or about $27,000 in today's money. Robert only had $100 to his name and had no idea how long it would take him to earn $700 more because, because, yes, he could work. But when he did work, his wages were being garnished by his owner and the wages he was able to actually take home. He had to feed a family. He had mouths to feed at home. He needed to find another way. Robert knew that he couldn't get his family's freedom by way of money. But could he steal it? By 1861, Robert Smalls had grown into a savvy, robust, and respected young man. 
He had spent over a decade on the docks of the Charleston Harbor. He had learned tricks of the trade from sailors from around the world. He was heavily respected by white folk, black folk, free folk, and enslaved folk. He had, as my father would put it, been around the block. Robert, now in his early 20s, had been conscripted to serve aboard the Planter, an ammunition transport ship. The Planter was a 147-foot-long ship with a carrying capacity of 1,400 bales of cotton or 1,000 men. It was also one of the fastest ships out of the Charleston Harbor. The boat was put into the U.S. Ship Registry in October of 1860 by the ship's owner and captain, John Ferguson. Ferguson was a slave owner, shocking, I know, and used three of his slaves as crew and contracted with local owners to flesh out his crew with more enslaved men, and Robert Smalls was one of them. Smalls had become an expert salesman and knew the crevices of the Charleston water like the back of his hand. When the Civil War broke out in 1861, Ferguson leased the planner to the Confederate Navy along with his crew because he was such a giving person. Now, Robert's yearning for freedom had not dissipated or gone away. But imagine his sheer frustration when he found out he'd be manning a ship for a Confederate army whose main goal was to defeat the Union army so they could maintain slavery. Like, come on! The yearning had gotten worse. Smalls was reeling on the inside and wanted so badly to escape with his family. But perhaps the thing that may have further fueled his decision and the fire inside were the actions of a man named Major General David Hunter. Hunter was an abolitionist and a general in the Union Army and spoke fervently and passionately about freedom. He hated the institution of slavery, but most importantly, he knew that the Union Army could not win the war without more manpower i.e., wink, wink, hint, hint, shoulder, shoulder, the participation of black men. Between April 13, 1862 and May 9, 1862, General Hunter issued two proclamations that every slave in the vicinity of his territory were to be free and the men eligible to fight in the Union Army. These territories were Georgia, Florida, and South Carolina. Both plans kind of fell flat because he didn't have enough support in Washington, and folks kind of knew that the Emancipation Proclamation was right around the corner. However, Davis insisted that if any enslaved folks were to reach Union lines in his territories, they would be treated as freed. That's all Robert needed to hear. So, at this point, young Robert Smalls is biding his time. In April 1862, a month before his historic escape, Smalls and the crew of enslaved men met in Robert's boat quarters. Smalls laid down his plan. They would steal the planter, masqueraded as Confederate soldiers just going about their business. It was a simple plan. It, it wasn't. It, it, it was convoluted and very, very dangerous. It required every single thing to go right. And if anything went wrong, anything at all, it would most certainly mean capture and death. The only issues with his plan was that the Union Army had a 10-ship blockade that was not letting any Confederate ship out to the Atlantic Ocean. They were ordered to fire on any Confederate ship that approached and that they would have to pass almost a half dozen Confederate checkpoints in order to even make it to the blockade. The crew decided that if they were to be captured by Confederates, they were to set fire to the boilers and let the ship explode, killing them instantly. 
they decided it was better to die trying to escape than to be captured. Robert's wife, Hannah, was also at this meeting. He told her, hey, we might die. There's like a super good chance that we will die. Maybe you should stay back and I will return for you and the kids, I promise. Hannah knew of the plan already and she turned to Robert and said, I will go where you die, I will die. By the night of Monday 11, 1862, the ship had been docked and loaded with ammunition. The Confederate officers who commanded the ship, Captain C.J. Relier, pilot Samuel Smith, and engineer Zarek Pitcher, used this opportunity to turn in with their families for the night. The black enslaved crew were left on board. The white officers were actually violating rules. They were forbidden to leave their post overnight and spend the night ashore. Why would you leave a fully armed boat unattended? Oh, it's fine, because those slaves are too dumb, right? <laughs> LOL. Robert knew this and anticipated their stupidity perfectly. It was go time. It was the early hours of the morning on May 12, 1862. At about 3 a.m., wood was thrown on the fire, and a South Carolina flag and a Confederate flag were hoisted. Smalls donned the floppy hat of Captain Relier and planned to impersonate him as the ship sailed through the channel. He had bore a striking resemblance to the captain, so the plan actually wasn't that bad. They set sail. The plan was in action. They passed the first checkpoint, a Confederate checkpoint. They had two men dispatched to a rowboat to pick up seven passengers from a moored boat, the Etowah. They were there to pick up more passengers to board the planter. Hannah, three of the Smalls' children, the oldest had stayed back to be with her own family, three black stewards from the Etowah who were on to the plan, and five other passengers who were related to the crew aboard the planter. They all got on board. They continued to successfully sail past Confederate checkpoints undetected. Castle Pickney, Fort Ripley, and Fort Johnson. At each checkpoint, Smalls impersonated Captain Relier as best as he could and was permitted to pass each time. The crew breathing sighs of relief every time. Imagine being on this ship. You have no control over what's happening, and at any moment, you could be blown to bits, miles from freedom. The men aboard played their roles really well. By this point, they were miles from the Charleston shores, halfway between slavery and freedom. It was do or die. By 4.15 a.m., they were approaching possibly their biggest test, Fort Sumter. The crew advised to maybe divert around the fort, but Small said no. He wanted this voyage to appear as normal as possible. They need not be detected for any reason. They approached the fort. When in sight, Smalls gave the appropriate signal, three shrill sounds and one hissing sound. Pass on by, came from the fort. Hilarious enough, as they passed the soldiers that were at Fort Sumter, the Confederate soldiers said something along the lines of, y'all be easy, let's give them Union boys hell. And Robert said, yeah, <laughs> sure. By the time they passed the fort, they could see the Union blockade and they quickened their pace. Freedom was in eyesight. The soldiers at Fort Sumter saw this and said, why would one of our ships be sailing directly towards the Union Army? Then it dawned on them. We just got played. They readied their guns, but it was too late. Now you'd think it was over. They were home free, right? Wrong. This was the hard part. 
they were sailing towards Union ships that know nothing of their plan. It also doesn't help that they have a Confederate battle flag hoisted. The Union could blow the planter to smithereens in a second. At this time, Lieutenant J.F. Nichols was commanding the Union ship, the Onward, and was the leader of the blockade. He headed his ship directly towards the planter. He ordered his crew and the nine other ships in the blockade to ready their guns. Suddenly, Robert had to act fast. Quickly, he ordered his ship to take down the Confederate and South Carolina flags and quickly run a white bedsheet up the flagpole. Hannah had brought this sheet along for the occasion. Black women are amazing. They pulled up alongside the Onward and the crew realized, hey, these aren't Confederates. These are slaves that just did the impossible. Nichols ordered the ship and all its passengers to be taken 60 miles down the coast to Port Royal and to be turned over to Admiral Samuel F. DuPont. They arrived at 10 p.m. the next day, May 13th. It was all over. They had done the impossible. They did it. Smalls was praised. DuPont wanted Robert Smalls to immediately join the Navy because look what you just did. But Smalls, unfortunately, was ineligible to do this because he could not read or write. The McKees treated Smalls with all the love and admiration growing up, but didn't teach him how to read or write. So Robert was inducted into the Army where they had no such requirements and served the Navy in a pseudo role when necessary. He was not in the Navy, but after the Civil War, Congress passed a special law for him so he could receive a Navy pension. Robert was, as Congress stated, the first hero of the Civil War. But more importantly, he was free. His family was free. His children were free. Congress went on to pass legislation that granted Big Robbie $1,500 after the sale of the planter to the Union Army. This was equivalent to $41,754.65 in today's money. The Confederates were upset, for a lack of better term. Not only had they been bested, beat, hornswoggled, they had been embarrassed by a black man, a slave. So they put a $4,000 bounty on Robert's head, which he didn't really care about. He got wind of this and told an all-black audience in New York that the only way he'd be returning to Charleston was at the head of a Union invading squad. Notice he said the head, not a member, not a chef, not a medic, the head. Robert Smalls had balls of steel. This was indicative of Robert's valiant and restless spirit. His story could have ended here. He could have found meaningful work in the North, maybe Pennsylvania or New York, and raised his family away from any of the noise or the mess. That's what I would have done, and I'm sure you would have too. Smalls used his knowledge of the South Carolina Sea to aid the Union Army in the greatest way. He advanced the Union military in nearly 17 campaigns. He even went on to command the planter again. After the war was over and the Union had won, he went on to have a very successful political career. He led boycotts against segregated public transportation. He led business ventures. He opened a school for black children in 1867. In the most hilarious event ever, he bought the house that his former slave masters owned in Beaufort, South Carolina. He was super generous to the McKees. He was more generous than I would have been. The McKees, who were former slave owners, were economically screwed after the war, just like a lot of other slave owners after the war. He went on to serve in the South Carolina State Senate from 1871 to 1874 and the South Carolina House of Representatives in the 1880s. 
He was a hero and the life of the party in every phase of life. Robert Smalls died of natural causes in 1915 at the age of 75, 53 years after he beat probably the greatest odds imaginable. Robert Smalls risked everything. He performed something more impressive than probably any Union or Confederate soldier ever did. I'd prefer hearing this story a thousand times in a row over that gibberish about Gettysburg or Fort Sumter or the Emancipation Proclamation, which didn't even end up freeing all the slaves. But we'll talk about that later. Author Andrew Billingsley says the South Carolina history books he grew up with have no mention of Robert Smalls, not even a footnote. I've never heard of him. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. There should be streets and towns and and history books named after Robert Smalls. We should have our National Robert Smalls Day. There should be stories told to every elementary school goer and middle school goer about Robert Smalls. My U.S. history class in the 11th grade should have talked about Robert Smalls. Yet here we are still having conversations in 2022 about removing statues of Robert E. Lee, a.k.a. Captain Loser. Robert Smalls is a hero. We owe him a lot. The least we can do is tell his story. I'm Andre, and thank you for listening to the Redacted History Podcast. If your heart is so moved, drop a like, a rating, a review. Tell your best friend, tell your mom, tell your grandma, tell your auntie about it. And until next time, stay fearless. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.